Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Hello, welcome to Chaos Part 2 Obligatory apology for possible echoiness. I'm in a kind of the smallest room in my new house that is currently just being used for to store the stuff I haven't unpacked because I'm only I'm only here temporarily so I didn't want to unpack everything. So that's dampening the sound a wee bit and it is quite a small room so I'm hoping that it's not as echoey. We're just going to be talking a wee bit quieter (laughs) so it doesn't echo can do some ASMR Q&A session. <laughs> so, welcome to the second part of Reflections, which is mostly going to focus on the questions that I didn't cover in the last episode. So specific questions that I didn't cover in my <laughs> my endless rambling for what, it was an hour and 15 minutes. Congratulations for getting through that if you did. I hope this one's going to be shorter. I'm not even going to guess how long it's going to be because I thought it was an hour last time and it wasn't, so. There's no particular order to this because I'm bad that way. <laughs> I just kind of shoved the questions in a Word document as soon as they came in. So there's they're in chronological order, essentially, <laughs> but chronological to when people asked me them, not chronological to the podcast, which is kind of annoying. I'll try and group them together on the fly (laughs) as I'm doing it because there are a few that follow the same themes but I do apologise if it's a wee bit (laughs) a wee bit chaotic (laughs) anyway okay so I haven't I also haven't put any names here so if you asked this question thank you very much in fact I will actually start by saying thank you to everybody that asked me questions and I will obligatorily obligatorily No, that doesn't sound like a word. I will start with an obligatory apology if I missed your question because I think there's there's at least one or two that have come in in the last like week when I've obviously been moving that I didn't copy and paste. Let's get on with it. First question is writing influences. Ooh. (laughs) Um, Too many to name and some that I've forgotten over the years. So I grew up an avid reader, which I feel is a requirement for storytellers these days, but I do put quite a lot of weight on my upbringing. And when I mean avid reader, I mean I was never without a book when I was a bairn, right up until I was at university, so about 21. I'd be reading a book during my breaks when I was studying for my exams at university so I mean like I was genuinely never without a book I think my parents loft or attic I think you call it in America (laughs) is just full of books from when I was I was growing up and stuff because they might my parents never throw anything away so (laughs) and I've got tons of books here I've got a specific bookshelf that's just got absolutely tons of books unfortunately I don't really get the time to read now I do have a a reading list or what I read for 2021. One of my like resolutions for 2021 was to read more because I I was kind of finding that 
I, I wasn't reading enough. So yeah, I kind of, I do feed off of other people's work. I'm like a leech. <laughs> I'm a creative leech. I do get inspiration from other people's work, which is why I consume an awful lot of it. I am more of a visual person though. TV programs tend to be my main source of food. <laughs> but I, as I, I do love reading. And I prefer reading to listening to the audiobooks because it's not hard to concentrate on the audiobooks, but I do I do just find it easy. I think it's because I've spent literally my entire life reading books up until a few years ago when I started doing audiobooks. I still haven't quite transitioned fully over to audiobooks because it's only been a few years since I've actually started listening to them. There's still a wee bit of a disconnect between my consumption of books in an audio format and in a reading format. I don't know what it is. I feel like I get more engaged with it if I read it myself, which is a bit weird. Anyway, that wasn't what you asked. (laughs) So I don't have traditional writing influences. Like there's not like a specific author or specific creator that I'm like, yes, that was my blueprint or that was my main inspiration. As I said, there's been a few like TV programs at Supernatural, which I mentioned in the last episode, that have definitely been larger influences. But there's been a few of them. As I said, I was an anime kid when I was younger, so that influenced things heavily. And it's really just whatever I'm consuming at the time is my main influence. I'm too erratic just to have the one influence. I get bored quite easily. Which you can probably tell by how chaotic my thoughts are when I'm not scripted. I have a very short attention span. So I can become really, really obsessed with something for a few months and then I'll get really sick of it and never look at it again and I'll move on to something else. Which is why I'm quite proud of myself that I've managed to keep this podcast going and finish it two and a half years after I started it. Because I I just don't have that kind of... I say concentration power but yeah I don't really have that consistency I'm a very inconsistent person I am very easily influenced because I remember I think I was about maybe like 15 or 16 and I first discovered Jane Austen and for a few years or at least during the time that I was like reading all of the books my own writing became very like old-timey and very posh so I'm very easily influenced by other things and other creators and other mediums I still ha- that still happens to me because sometimes I will go back and like reread some of the classics that I like. Jane Austen's kind of the main one, and whenever I do start reading or he- or listening to them, because I I listen to the Jane Austen audiobooks that were on um, Audible, and after that, like my writing becomes very proper. <laughs> it's quite funny. Unfortunately, I don't have specific writing influences, but there is a list on my website about books that I read in twenty twenty one. So the next question, which I think kind of ties in, is um, what advice or resources might you be able to recommend to someone getting their feet wet in storytelling? What were your own difficulties in choosing your plotline amongst all the possible options? And how did you ultimately settle on the direction you chose? These are such good questions. (laughs) They're so difficult. That's academic speak for I have no idea how to answer that question. Honestly, the only resource that I have ever used for storytelling are name generators. And I mentioned this in the previous episode that I'm really bad with names and it's not just names of the like the book or the novel or the, the short story. It's also names of character sometimes. 
So the only thing I use are name generators essentially. So that's why I, I know quite a lot about names <laughs> because I've spent hours like looking into the meaning, the history, the alternatives and stuff. I am aware that there are multiple apps these days about story building, world building, etc. So maybe give one of them a go. I think I tried something similar a very long time ago, probably about 10 years ago now. And they are kind of helpful. They weren't really helpful for me because I have my own way of doing things. As I said, it's kind of like playing in somebody else's sand, sand pit. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like using somebody else's templates always going to be a bit more difficult than using your own. So because I already had a way that I planned out stories, I found using those apps was a wee bit difficult because I couldn't express myself in the same way because they're very rigid. There's plenty of them now. I've I've seen like quite a few like sponsorships and ads for from other creators for these apps and programs and websites etc. So there are plenty of resources for story plotting, planning, character development, especially world building for fantasy if that's your particular poison. So my tools are my imagination and a word document and I think I said this last time so I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time on this question. I went into quite a lot of detail in the last episode about how I plot and plan stories. I kind of run simulations in my head and if it doesn't work then I, I rerun it with something else changed. Difficulties in choosing plot lines, hmm, I don't know, there's not really been any specific difficulties that I can really think of. As I said, I think the only difficulty that I ever come come up against when I'm plotting stuff out is myself. (laughs) I can't really think of any specific difficulties that I've ever come across. Solely because I do the majority of the legwork with respect to plotting before I even start writing it. If I think that something doesn't work in a plotline, I'll just ditch it for something else. (laughs) There's always an alternative. I'm an overthinker. I don't think I've ever said this before. I think I said a few years ago that I had social anxiety, but I actually have general anxiety disorder. Quite severe. (laughs) Very severe sometimes. And... I tend to overthink a lot of things, which is unhelpful in real life, <laughs> but is very helpful when you're trying to plot a story. So, you know, there, there's, there's a, it's a double-edged sword. How do I ultimately settle in the direction? I think I said this last time, it's very organic. Like it just, it's very, it's very instinctual. That's the word I was looking for. It's very instinctual. I'll just kind of tell if something's working. Um, and I can tell if it's not working. I see. I just seem to have that ability to to just know. It's easy for me to say that now when I've not really had any critical eye on my storytelling. So I'm sure if I did, you know, manage to get a literary agent for one of my novels and I get an editor, the editor would probably have an absolute field day, like point, pointing out plot holes and pointing out things that didn't work. So I think it's easy for me to stand here and say oh, it's really easy, oh, I just know when things work. But I, I don't, that, that really is a subjective thing because I'm sure there are maybe a few plot points in the podcasts that people don't agree with or they, they don't think works, but just nobody's ever told me. <laughs> so I, I go with what I think works and nobody has ever told me otherwise. <laughs> so I just, I'm just living in my own wee bubble 
that nobody's ever popped yet. I think that's my advice. So yeah, I'm not I'm not the person to be giving advice about how to how to tell stories. I said this last episode, and I will say it again. I'm not the person to give advice on how to tell a story, or how to choose a plot, or how to make things work. I think I've just genuinely been isolated. Nobody's ever told me otherwise. <laughs> so those are the writing questions. I bet you there's probably more than that, but never mind. Let's go on to... Let's move on to me. (laughs) So someone asked, uh, what did I study? What did I become a doctor in? And what am I planning to do with my PhD? And you see, when when I first read this question, the first thing that came to my head was burn it. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. So I studied a science that will remain nameless. Oh, I already mentioned this in the last episode. I studied a STEM subject. The reason that I never told you what STEM stood for in the last episode was because I actually got it wrong. (laughs) So it's actually what science, technology, engineering and mathematics. My PhD and my entire degree... Yeah, my, my, all, all three of my degrees, because I got an undergraduate, master's and a PhD, all three of them are in a STEM subject that will remain nameless. <laughs> These questions all have an answer written down. So what I've actually written down here was, I'm planning on becoming an obnoxious fuck with my PhD, lording over all the peasants. <laughs> Which obviously is a joke. That's one of my fears, actually. I don't know if this is maybe anybody else's fear. But one of my fears about my PhD is that I become one of those really obnoxious pricks that goes around going, it's doctor, actually. I I, I don't, I, I have a fear of becoming that person. Since I left academia, there's not really much that I can do with my PhD. Ironically, my PhD was one of the reasons I left academia in the first place and got a job in a company rather than continue on my trajectory at a university. PhDs are pretty useless things outside of universities. I've come to realise this over the last year since I left um, my last university position. They're kind of useless. They don't. They they prepare you for a, a life in academia. They don't prepare you for a life outside of that. See, I'm still a bit jaded about my PhD, even though it's been like two years since I was examined for it. I'm still bitter. Yeah. How everything turned out, I'm still quite bitter. I didn't go. I don't think I went into that much detail about it when I told you it a few years ago, like when I I passed it, but there, there was a lot of fallout, negative fallout from it that took me ages to kind of get over and get past. And I don't really think I've got past it. So yes, my PhD is still a wee bit of a touchy subject and it's completely useless now that I'm not in university. And ironically, when I was moving... I keep all my certificates and all my important documents in like the same place. So I was like packing them up. But because they're kind of in weird, they're in like weird envelopes that you can't bend or anything like that. So they have to be separate. And I was packing them up and I was like looking at this bit of paper. It's an A4 piece of paper, my PhD. And I was like, all of that bullshit for this tiny stupid piece of paper. It's like, what? it's not even like fancy paper. It's just thicker, slightly stiffer paper. And I was like, all of that bullshit for this fucking piece of paper. Well, the the ironic thing is I don't use the doctor title. It's still very strange to me to be using it, even though it's been about... It's been a year since I actually officially became doctor and I, I got it. I got it confirmed by the university itself. But it still feels really weird to actually see it on things. And I haven't actually changed my title 
in a lot of places, like in a lot of things that like address that are addressed to me and stuff. So it yeah, it's <laughs> just pretty useless to be honest. If you're not in academia, it's absolutely useless. Someone asked me what I looked like, which I thought was a very bizarre question. Pretty average looking, to be honest. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I have brown hair and you can see that from my profile picture. (laughs) Have you considered or would you consider doing any voice work on other podcasts? I think I said this last time. Yes, I'd be up for that. But there are plenty of actual voice actors to do that job (laughs) who are a lot better than I am and a lot better trained than I am Uh, but I wouldn't say no if somebody asked because I'm aware that my accent is a premium (laughs) my my accent has taken me a long way so someone asked will you be writing in the same genre as your podcasts it will come as no surprise to many long time listeners that I mainly write historical fantasy fiction The podcasts were actually one of my first stories in many years that were set in the present time. I mainly do historical fiction, sometimes with fantasy elements, but it really can be very depending on my current influences. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I got really into high fantasy, so I got sucked in by Game of Thrones back when it was on its first season. And I read all of the books and every single piece of my work from that time period is fantasy but I sickened myself of it essentially so (laughs) I I was consuming so much fantasy like I was reading all these fantasy books I was watching stuff you know I was essentially like saturating myself with high fantasy and I got so sick of it I can't even look at it now I can't even read a high fantasy book anymore even though there's been really good ones published in the last like three or four years whenever I try to sit down and read them I just can't I I cannot be bothered with that anymore it's such a shame because fantasy is so fascinating and it's it's usually so good but I just can't I can't do I can't anymore but essentially I sickened myself of that (laughs) and I firmly landed in the like historical fiction stuff so I've never gotten sick of historical fiction which is really weird so it, it took me a few years to get sick of high fantasy but I have it's I've never got sick of historical fiction. So yeah, I don't know why I've never been sick of it, but I got sick of high fantasy real quick. <laughs> so I do I do mostly urban fantasy. So I do have a few bits and pieces, like my other bit of work that I'm currently trying to edit and put back on the, the platform like Wattpad is urban fantasy as well. So that is very, it's very similar to the podcasts. So yeah, I either do urban fantasy like the podcasts or historical fiction with like fantasy elements, but it can sometimes just be historical fiction. Somebody asked me if I would narrate the audiobook, if there, if I ever get published, <laughs> if I would narrate the audiobook, and I would love to. Yeah, so I'm hoping to, but since all my novels are actually written in the third person, I'd have to do voices, and since I'm not a voice actor, I might ruin it. <laughs> it's definitely something I'd like to do but we'll we'll have to see. So I think I'm going to move on to the questions that were about the actual universe, like the the antique shop universe. And I think the first one that I think is appropriate to start with is, is the antique shop based on an actual antique shop? Yes, the antique shop in the podcast is inspired slash based on an actual antique shop. But the more time that passes, the more I think I might have just imagined or dreamed this antique shop. 
I could swear that it was somewhere in Glasgow's West End. So I am a born and raised Glaswegian, right? That's my accent. And I could have sworn that there was this antique shop down this alleyway, or down, sorry, down one of the many alleyways in the West End of Glasgow. So near Glasgow University, that's what we refer to as the West End. There's tons of wee alleyways, like just off that main road. And I could have sworn many, many years ago, possibly like 20 odd years ago, there was this antique shop down one of these alleys. And I think I know where it is, but there is no antique shop like that there now. That the image, I only have one image of this antique shop in my head. And I went into it and it literally was, it was very, very small. And there was like one pathway going like straight ahead. And then like one that just went to the right, I think. But everything was everywhere. Like there was like bikes, like uh, bicycles, like hanging from the wall. So it was quite high ceilinged. Um, And there was like rows of stuff everywhere. There was like, just, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It had a glass counter and the glass counter had stuff in it. I remember there being a box of like coins, like old coins, yeah, old money essentially, like a box with old money in it. As I said, the bicycles on the, on the, the walls, there was just, it was, it was madness. It was absolute chaos. And I remember it to this day and that's what the antique shop is, is based off of. But as I said, I, I never found it again. And it's definitely not there now. There is an antique shop where I think it was, or near where I think it was, but that building that the antique shop currently is in is a new build. That's what I mean when I say, I think I must have imagined it. Because I have, I genuinely have no idea. But yes, the antique shop is based off of, or inspired by, what I presume was a real antique shop, but is not in existence anymore, that I know of. If anybody in Glasgow knows what I'm talking about, that'd be great. Another quite important thing that I wanted to address and what a few people have kind of asked is essentially what do the characters look like? And I purposely don't put character descriptions in my writing because I feel like it creates a disconnect between the reader or the listener and the characters themselves. I am speaking from personal experience, but I find it difficult to engage with a character that doesn't look like I expect them to look like, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I, When I'm reading, or when I used to read, I used to form images of the characters in my head, and I think that's quite a common thing for people that read to do that. But there's there was a few books that I read when I was growing up that the like the character description like the main character description wasn't given until like halfway through and when it was given i was like well i don't i didn't imagine them like that you know i imagined them this way or that way and it kind of created a wee bit of a kind of a kind of weird disconnect of like oh i keep forgetting that character has like freckles or oh i keep forgetting that character is not blonde they're actually brunette so yeah, what I've got written here is that uh, because I, I read a lot when I was growing up, I, I did go through that period of, of young adult fiction. And I have said here quite scathingly that uh, YA fiction is littered with um, Bella Swan type girls who are painted as plain Janes but are actually pretty anyway. And I got really sick of reading about blonde haired, blue eyed, attractive people. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was really sick of characters being attractive, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I was kind of, right? You know, I'm not saying that I'm ugly, or, or, like, I'm not saying that. 
But I think when you're a teenager, especially, you think you're ugly. I think all teenage girls think they're ugly. I think that's just a, a part of growing up. And so when I was younger, when obviously when I was a lot more impressionable than I am now, I was just really sick of reading about characters that were meant to be plain, but were actually gorgeous anyway. <laughs> just really pointless. So my logic to this is that it doesn't matter how I see the characters. Believe it or not, they do have descriptions. Because I was quite young when I wrote these stories, I did used to give my characters descriptions back back in the day. But I don't anymore. The, the, the writing that I've done in the last four or five years at least haven't had descriptions of characters. And I've not really even thought about it either. Because to me, looks... Oh god, this is going to sound so cliche. Looks don't matter. What a character looks like doesn't really matter. Or it shouldn't really matter. And again, it doesn't really matter how I picture the characters. It matters how you picture the characters. Uh, If you want them to have insanely curly hair, you can. If you want them to have a scar on their arm where they flipped over their bicycle handles when they were younger, done. You can have them look however you want them to. And I'm, I'm going to completely misremember this quote, but the, the singer, songwriter, all-around musical genius that is Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran? Sheeran? Why can't I say that properly? You know who I'm talking about, the ginger guy. <laughs> I listened to an interview he did for BBC Radio 1 quite a few years ago now. His, his songs are used quite a lot for first dances, for romantic dances, etc. And he got asked how he felt about that. And if he ever imagined that his songs being used for that. And he said that once he releases his songs, they're not his songs anymore. They are other people's songs. Like his original meaning, like the, or his original intention, the original meaning that he meant to convey. Like it, that kind of goes away as soon as he releases a song and it becomes somebody else's. And I very much appreciate that sentiment. And I also agree with that sentiment. Yes, these characters were created by me but they're consumed by you. You can give them whatever meaning that you want. You know, you can take away whatever you want from them. You can project whatever you want onto them. So my interpretations, my descriptions of them, how I think they look like, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So that's my opinion. That's why I've never given you a description. Apart from Madame Norna, I think she might have been the only one that I gave a description to in the actual podcast. And obviously Kronos, because... Who doesn't love a black cat? (laughs) But yet Madame Norna has got very red hair. And I'm talking like not not ginger hair. It is not a natural colour. It's like your, what would you call it? Like your crimson, like scarlet, like a kind of deep red that you can only get from a box, (laughs) essentially. And I can't even remember what colour of eyes I said she had. I think I said blue, but I can't remember now. But yeah, it doesn't matter. What I think the characters look like doesn't matter. You can literally draw them or imagine them in any way that you want. Although I I will say just this one tiny wee thing. Somebody did draw Maya with freckles and I love it. (laughs) I think that's awesome. I love freckles. I wish I had more. Nope, I'm not going to say that because that would involve giving my description. If you want to have Maya with freckles, that's cute. I, I love that. I think that's great. But as I, for general descriptions, I'm not going to give you any because I don't think it matters what I think they look like. 
And speaking of descriptions, uh, what do you think the other characters saw as fate and death? Uh, I should know the answer to this question, shouldn't I? Honestly, some people's questions were so detailed and in-depth that it actually made me feel like such a bad writer because I was like, I've never thought about that before. I did give you a warning in the last episode that I am a bit like a baby. (laughs) Right, so I don't know if people are familiar with how babies develop or how infants develop, but everybody, every human being, every little baby human being goes through a period where if they don't see something, it doesn't exist. And I'm kind of like that with my writing. So when you ask me, you know, what do the other characters see as fate and death? I have no idea because I haven't thought about it. (laughs) The only thing I will say, because I have thought about it since, the only thing I will say is I 100% am convinced that Reed would have seen death as a grim reaper with like scythe and black robes and skeletal hands, like the full Monty of the the Grim Reaper, like the stereotypical Grim Reaper, 100%. I can't tell you what everybody else saw. With Madame Norna, I think she might have seen death as, you know those like 14th, 15th century depictions of death in the like illuminated manuscripts? Here's my amateur historian coming out. People probably won't be that familiar with them. But yeah, so illuminated manuscripts, as as you probably, hopefully people will know what they are, they're essentially like illustrated like Bible verses that were very, very expensive at the time. But some of them are, are really, really beautiful, she says, as she's talking about death. <laughs> but yeah, some of them depict death in really weird, bizarre ways. <laughs> and I'm pretty confident that Madame Norna, given that she was born in like the, what, the 16th century, she probably would have seen death as one of those depictions, like a very medieval-y kind of early Renaissance depiction of death. But as for as for Finn, no idea. Absolutely no idea. Uh, with respect to fate, how people, how the other characters saw fate, I imagine most of them would see them as a person or possibly even people. So obviously fate is most commonly depicted in the West as three women, right? You've got the Greek fates, um, you've got the Roman ones, I think even Norse mythology has three women as in in that kind of in that kind of thing. I think the other characters probably would have seen fate as a person or multiple people. So as I said, I can't actually remember what my exact logic or thought process was choosing it to be an owl. So when you ask me, what did other people see it as? Mm, no idea. <laughs> I I have no idea what fate is to people, but it probably is most commonly a person or three women, essentially. I, I think sorry, I've written here that um Finn definitely saw them as three women. <laughs> Which I, I stand by that opinion. Can't say what the madam saw. So, next question. How does the madam know how to fix people's problems? Is it following um intuition that Maya is learning to listen to or is it from training slash experience? I think it's a mixture of both experience and intuition. I think I stated in an episode that the madams can hear the thoughts of the customer and with always knowing what to do, Madame Norn has been around for 500 years by the time that we meet her. So I'll bet she's literally seen every single problem under the sun (laughs) in that amount of time. So the funny thing about being so familiar with history is that you do start to see patterns. Like, people don't really change. I'm going to plug the Sandman again. 
so, solely because it's still on my mind a few months later. But there's an episode in The Sandman and it's like one of the, I think it's the most popular episode. It's this, is it The Sound of Her Wings? It's the one with death. Um, so yeah, death's in that too. I won't go into too much detail about it, but we essentially follow a character once every hundred years, beginning in like 1389, I think. And they do it really well in, in the Netflix adaptation, but I think it's also in the comic that it's always in a pub. that We, we follow this character every hundred years and we meet them in the, the same pub. And the the characters in the background of the pub, like the other kind of NPCs, if you will, always talk about the same things. Even though it's 100 years apart, they're always talking about very similar or the same things. It's just, it's such a beautiful and accurate depiction, in my opinion, in that, you know, we like to think that we're different from our ancestors. We like to think that we're more enlightened, that we're better, that we're superior somehow. But if you're as familiar with history as I am, and I'm not even an expert, I'm nowhere near that, but the more familiar you get with history, the more you start to see that humanity doesn't really change a great deal. <laughs> Technology might advance, yes, but everything else just goes in circles. I, th- I think the madam always knowing what to do is because she's seen it all before, <laughs> pretty much. That- that's personally how I view that. Um, so I've said the-, the saying that there's nothing really new, just old things coming around again is so true. This one was a good question. So, do you have any voices in your mind for Finn, Reed, and the Madam, i.e. a celebrity that sounds like how you think they'd sound? Again, this is such a great question, and I'm so disappointed that I have never thought about it before. So, the audio medium of podcasting is still, I say relatively new to me, I've been doing it for three years. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> the whole audio thing, like, I said audiobooks, I didn't start them until a few years ago. I didn't start fiction po- listening to fiction podcasts until a few years ago. The whole audio medium itself is still relatively new to me in comparison to the mediums that I was using before, which is predominantly written word. So I have no idea. I have no voice actors or even actors in mind who I would like to play the voices. I also don't have any actors who I would picture being them in like a screen adaptation either. I think this links quite nicely onto the character description question in that I don't really think of character descriptions anymore. I kind of, it's one of those things that I kind of ignore. And so when, you know, when you, if you ask me like, oh, a voice or a, or a person, an actor to play them, I'm like, I have no idea what they look like, let alone what they sound like. <laughs> as long as they're Scottish slash Irish, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I actually, I will add on a caveat to that whole character description thing. One of the other reasons that I don't put character descriptions into my writing is because I think it's awkward, especially in first person. I think it's even worse because I don't know about you, but I never stand cleaning my teeth or like in the shower or like doing something else and go, "Mm, yes, my brown hair is really silky and soft today. Or, oh, my eyebrows are perfectly shaped today. (laughs) Like I just, that just doesn't occur to me, right? As I said, maybe other people do this. I have zero idea, but I never ever think those things. Like I never think, oh yes, my sparkling brown eyes are great <laughs> today. I'm not throw I'm not trying to throw shade here, but when I did used to like read things that were written in first person, 
and I used to see the character descriptions being written, i.e. the character themselves was describing themselves, it was so awkward. It was so cringe because it was like my long, soft, blonde hair fell down to my waist in luscious, cascading locks. I'm like, the fuck? Nobody talks like that. Nobody thinks about themselves like that. Nobody describes themselves like that. No way. So that's why I don't do it, especially in first person. If I asked anybody to give them a, a, to give them a physical description, you'd be like, oh, I have black hair and green eyes. I have blonde hair and brown eyes. You know, you would never ever go into any more detail than that. So that's why I find it very awkward in first person narratives when the characters describe themselves because it's like mm, too much detail. And so hence why I couldn't do it in this podcast. And I, I also just, I just find it awkward in general, even third person narratives, which I predominantly write in. It's still just really awkward. I don't know what it is. For me, I personally just find it really cringe. So yeah, that's a personal opinion. That's my opinion. <laughs> first first time I've had to say that in this episode. That's my opinion. It is not a fact. That is just my opinion. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Do the foxes who can stand on two legs and foxes who only stand on four legs have the same level of sentience in the podcast universe? Do the interbreed... I know human-fox relationships are discouraged, but what about fox-fox relationships? Ah, there's always one. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) I could have said something a lot worse there. I think the person that asked this was like, I could kind of sense a wee bit of, not embarrassment, but kind of like, oh, is this a weird question to ask? I don't think it is a weird question. It's kind of something that I, I kind of think I would probably think of in that moment. Like, it's a slightly inappropriate question. But... It's fine, we're not judging. She says and she calls it inappropriate. It's not. You're fine. Don't be embarrassed. All questions are welcome. So I, again, this is one of, these are one of these things that I just, it never crossed my mind personally. So four-legged foxes are just regular foxes in the podcast universe. So they have the same level of sentience as any, like a regular fox does that you would feed in your garden. It's only the descendants of the ones who went to see Madame Norna that have the human qualities. So as a right... Oh God, (laughs) this answer. I've written down here. As a result, wouldn't it be a form of bestiality if they were to, you know? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh... So having said that, maybe you're suggesting that when two-legged foxes turn into their animal form, perhaps their sentience reverts back as well. Again, no. I feel as though Reed and his kin retain their sentience even when they're in their animal form, hence no interbreeding. But you never know what dark secrets lie in the past. (laughs) There's an equally strange answer to that question. Was there anything from folklore that you considered but decided was too bizarre for a general audience? So there are a few things from Scottish folklore that are bizarre. I suppose you could argue that most of it is bizarre. (laughs) Not most of it, all of it. Folklore in general tends to be quite bizarre, no matter what country it is. I'll face it this way, I left more Scottish folklore out than I put in. So I think I only used about two things in the podcast that is is actual Scottish folklore and even then I think I changed them because yeah the thing about Scottish folklore is it's very water oriented and like very nature oriented so there's tons of water demons they're not called water demons but they're kind of equivalent 
There's tons of things in the water. Don't go near the water, otherwise this thing will get you, that thing will get you. As I said in the last episode, there's tons of harbingers of doom. <laughs> um, and the fairies. So fairies was the main thing that I left out. I am recently coming around to fairies again, but I did go through quite a few years where I detested them. There is a lot of fairy folklore in Scotland. I think Ireland shares that with us, that there's quite a lot of fairy stuff, which I left all of that out of the podcast. So that that's at least 50% of Scottish folklore. I don't really think there's anything in Scottish folklore that is too strange. But again, I am going to say that because it's Scottish and so am I. It's a cultural thing, right? I, I, grew, I, say I grew up with a Scottish folklore, but I did. I, I think in Scotland, Scotland is a bit bizarre in general. Like Scottish culture, there are just some things that we do that are quite strange. Like, I don't know if it's maybe just a Glaswegian thing either, but like people swear all the time in Glasgow. And I came down here to England and people apologise for swearing. And I'm looking at them going, why are you apologising? It's just swearing. And so it's a cultural thing (laughs) in that, you know, just because I don't find it weird doesn't mean other people wouldn't find it weird. What I think what I'm trying to say is Scottish people tend to have a higher bar for weird. (laughs) There's nothing that I read about or know about that I went, nah, can't use that. That's too weird. The only thing, the only difficulty I did come across was the pronunciation because a lot of it's in Gaelic and I'm not that familiar with Gaelic so the pronunciation was the most difficult thing I think for me to get but nothing was too weird <laughs> nothing's too weird for this podcast is Kronos aware of his wee shite title yes <laughs> so Maya's always been a character from to me who isn't one for saying things behind people's backs that she wouldn't say to their faces so there's no way in her many moments of frustration with Kronos that those two words haven't slipped out. So I think that somebody American asked me, is it rooster or roaster? And I didn't think those two things sounded that similar. So it's roaster as in that rhymes with toast. Yep, that, that, so it's roast as in toast. I suppose they're the same thing, aren't they? Toasting and roasting are pretty much the same thing as well. So yeah, it's toast, it's roast as in toast. (laughs) Could there ever be some sort of crossover episode with the McElwraith statements as a one-off? No, unfortunately not. The two podcasts are set in different worlds. If I was a better planner, I probably could have made them part of the same universe, but I'm not that clever. And the sole reason or the evidence that they wouldn't work is that ghosts don't exist in the antique shop, whereas that's the whole premise of the McElroyd's statements. If you do a crossover episode between the antique shop and another podcast, what would it be? I'm going to confess something quite terrible now, so prepare yourselves. I haven't actually listened to other fiction podcasts in two years. I know. Clutch your pearls. I know. I am a terrible person. <laughs> so, uh, there is a justification for it. It's not just because I'm a dick. So I found that listening to audio fiction and writing, producing and doing everything on my own fiction podcast was too much. And I didn't want to be influenced by others either. As I said, I'm a very easily influenced creator and I didn't want to I didn't want that to happen with fiction podcasting or with with the antique shop. I would very much like to do a crossover episode if the opportunity presented itself, but I've never had a mind to suggest such a thing. 
I think the difficulty with crossovers is that you have to be careful playing in somebody else's sand pit. So they've built their sand castles in a certain way and you can play in it and be careful, but at the end of the day it's still their sand castle and it's still their rules. And if you want to play, you have to abide by them. I can imagine it might be a bit difficult putting two completely different worlds together and making it work, especially with something as inflexible as the antique shop since there are so many rules in that universe. So that's what I mean with the sand pit metaphor. So yeah, it, I think it is just a case of every fiction podcaster builds their own wee sandcastle. Unless your your own sandcastle is quite flexible in its, in its layout, it's going to be quite difficult fitting it into somebody else's. That's just how I view it anyway. Not impossible, because obviously there are quite a few crossover episodes for other fiction podcasts, but personally, I, I think well, yeah, I, I think it can be quite difficult, which is why I've never pursued it. Oh, somebody said, I miss the touching reunion between Death and Kronos. Any words on how joyful their reconnection was? <laughs> Perhaps I robbed listeners on that particular reunion, but there was just so much to wrap up in that episode that I completely blanked on that. Think the kind of joy you feel after years of hard work finally accomplishing your goal. I think my inexperience is showing here because I've never missed someone like that. I've never experienced that emotion because I've never been that attached to someone. So I think subconsciously that was why I danced over the reunion because I, I just can't even imagine the the relief and the happiness at reuniting with someone that you thought you'd never see again. Again, somebody asked what, what are some podcasts you're listening to or would recommend? Well, I'll remind you of my shockingly bad confession about 30 seconds ago. Yeah, worry not. As for recommendations, I can help you with that. Back when I was consuming all fiction podcasts, I did collate a list of them, which is now on my website under Ghostly Recommends. And I've been, I think I've only added a few in the last few years, but there's quite a lot in there to sink your teeth into. Hmm. See, somebody did ask me my name. I was right. Can you tell this isn't in order? Yeah, so somebody did ask if I was going to tell everybody my real name. I was toying with the idea at the very last episode, like episode 50, finally announcing my name. But as I said in the last episode, uh, I like anonymity. (laughs) So not only because of privacy reasons, so yeah, I'm a very private person as well, which maybe you wouldn't think that, but I'm a very private person. But it's not just because of privacy, it's also because of legacy. So Ghostly Thistle isn't burdened or connected with who I am in real life. I'm not saying that I'm an awful person or anything like that, but I quite like having this separate piece of my life that's not weighed down by the other things. As long as I'm anonymous, this work will never be compared to anything else I've done anywhere else under any other name. Being anonymous gives you a kind of freedom that I know a lot of people abuse by becoming trolls. But I like to think that Ghostly Thistle is the light side of online anonymity, like the har- the harmless side. It's especially given the last few years, oh, especially given cancel culture. And I, I'm, as I said, I'm not saying that my opinions, yeah, I don't, I don't hold very many strong opinions on things that would offend an awful lot of people, but you never know how people are going to react to certain things. So I just, I don't want my work to be tarred with anything that I may say or do in the future that people don't agree with. 
I think it, I think my I think it deserves better than that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said this before either, but my friends and family have never listened to this podcast to my knowledge. They do know that I do a podcast, but I've never actually told them the name of it. <laughs> and I like having those two things separate. I can say whatever I want here about my life, my writing, and I'm not going to get a message or a comment from the people in my life. I think it's natural when you're a writer for your family to think that you use them as inspiration, which I can actually say I've never done, but I don't think that would stop a lot of people. Like, yeah, I I have had friends in the past that have known that I write and they've like requested me writing them into it or like characters based on them or named after them. And I think a lot of creators have that, I say problem, but I think a lot of creators have that. Like your friends and family want to be immortalised in your work. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, you can't do that. And as I said, I don't want my family and friends drawing comparisons between them and my work because they're not, there is none. But you just know that somebody would. (laughs) Maybe it's just my friends, to be honest, but yeah. So yes, there's a few things that I do on this podcast that I'd really, my family, rather not hear. Or my friends rather not hear. So yeah, my family is very anti-swearing. So yeah, one of my parents um, doesn't like swearing. So I grew up in a non-swearing household. You find that hard to believe the amount of swearing I do. (laughs) But yeah, I grew up in a non-swearing household. But I swore like an absolute trooper with my friends because I'm a Glaswegian. But obviously I swear on this podcast. And I would rather my family not find out that I swear because that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation I purposely don't want to put my name onto this so essentially so people from my life can't find me <laughs> and again that makes it sound like I've I've said something about them that, that they can take offence to but I haven't I just like having this little piece of the internet where I can fully be myself and not have to worry about other people's reactions or people I care about's reactions I would not want my family or friends to think that the opinions that I... In fact, I don't want anybody to think that the opinions that Maya comes out with or states are my opinions. Because, yes, yeah, some of them are, but some uh, some of them are not. <laughs> Maya is still a fictional character. But obviously because I'm voicing her and they know me, my, f- my friends and family know me better than you do, I don't want them thinking that the things that I say as Maya is the things that I think is me final question I bet you I've been here for like an hour yep oh god hopefully this isn't going to be an hour (laughs) final question have you moved back to Scotland Uh, no (laughs) that's a really scary question given I've just moved house this was actually sent in to me before I moved house (laughs) no I have not moved back to Scotland the rent is too expensive and the house prices are even worse I do have a job in Scotland though, so my my job, what I do for a living, is I am based at a company in Scotland and I, I remote work. I've been to the office, I've said this before, I've been to the office a few times over the last year, so I've been working at this company for a year and I've been up about twice. I do want to move back to Scotland, but I don't really have any idea where I want to take my career yet, which I know sounds quite bizarre considering I've done a PhD. I was going to say I don't think I'm ready to, ready to settle down yet, but I am getting there. And by settle down, I don't mean get a, a partner and children, because as I said in the previous episode, that's not for me. 
But buying a house, really, that's kind of what I consider settling down. Putting down roots is probably a better phrase for it. I'm getting to the stage where I want to put down roots, but the bad thing about my career trajectory up to this point is that it's been a bit temporary. So I've always been on contracts, usually two-year contracts, which, you know, is in itself a bit of a problem. Like, how do you buy a house when you don't know if you're going to even be employed in two years' time? Because universities are notorious for not renewing contracts unless you go and find the money yourself. I'm not sure about the company I'm in just now because obviously it's a it's a company, not a university. And I'm still in a contract. But I don't know if they're going to renew it or not. I think they will. But th- from things that they've said to me in passing, it does kind of seem as if, yes, we'll, we're, they're going to renew the contract. So I think this time next year, it will be this time next year, I'll have, I'll, I will have to think about roots, essentially, putting down roots. Because I am, I don't know if it's maybe just the move. Because I, rent, I obviously rent just now. And I don't know if it's maybe moving house in the last week or like the, what, the chaos that has been the last three weeks or two weeks. Because I, I, I wasn't given a month's notice. I only had two weeks to move out. And so I don't know if it's just been the chaos and the stress of the last two weeks that's making me just think, oh my God, I would just wish I had my own house that was mine, that I didn't have to move, that I didn't have to constantly be thinking I was going to move. So I am hoping to move back to Scotland at some point in the future, possibly. Especially if I stay at this company I'm with just now who are in Scotland, it would make a lot more sense for me to move back up there. Right, that's us. I apologise if this is like a million hours long. I apologise if I didn't get to all of your questions. As I said, I think there may be one or two that I forgot about or that I didn't write down because, as I said, the last week has just been... Oh God, I'm surprised I managed to find this microphone. (laughs) I honestly, I'm quite surprised. I managed to find it because I can't find anything else. I don't, I don't really know how to... This is the last episode. I don't really know how to, to finish this after so many years. I've said it a million times before, but it's been fun. This podcast has been really fun to do. It's been lovely getting all your messages and engaging with you all. And I do apologise about not replying to emails and messages recently. I'm bad normally, but I have been so much worse for the last few weeks, ever since, obviously, moving house and stuff. And I get that I was moving house, but I was bad before that as well. <laughs> so yeah, I, I apologise. I'm going to try and catch up with my emails this week and messages and stuff. So I do apologise if I've not, I've not written you back. <laughs> Please forgive me, I'm just really bad. So yes, thank you everybody that's supported me on coffee, everybody that's ever donated, everybody that's left a review and a rating, anybody that's recommended me. Just thank you every single person that has listened to this podcast and a special thanks to the people that have managed to make it this far <laughs> in the podcast and managed to get to episode 50 and even listen to my chaotic ramblings in these reflections episodes. These episodes would not be here if it were not for you. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but it's it's completely true. I would would have given up the ghost if I did not have listeners, because what would be the point? You, you put the purpose into this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. 